0: Welcome back again to A Better Brand of Happiness, session 49. This is the final session in this series. And in this session, we will look at the final paragraph of the book of Philippians. Verse 20 ended the previous paragraph, which we spent a number of sessions, a number of weeks studying together. And so we just finished Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, the previous paragraph. And so that means verse 21 is where the paragraph picks up for today's session and going forward. It's easy to find the beginning of this paragraph because Paul clearly changes, um, changes topics when he says, greet God's people, all God's people in Christ Jesus. The idea of greeting is a new idea, and so obviously the paragraph it has begun a new idea there. The end of the paragraph is easy too because there's no more Philippians after verse 23, and so the last verse in this um, book of the Bible is the last book of, or the last verse in this paragraph. So, the paragraph that is the subject of this session, the final session in this series, is Philippians chapter 4, verses 21 through 23. Now, when I study a paragraph of Scripture, I always write um, a one sentence summary of it. And just for the sake of time, I'm not going to walk you through the steps that I go through to get to that one sentence summary. I've done that in a number of other sessions in uh, in this series. Um, so I'm just going to show, show it to you without walking you through it. And so this is the big idea statement for this paragraph of scripture. Paul closed his letter to the Philippians by sending greetings and by praying for the Holy Spirit to be with them. Paul closed this letter to the Philippians by sending greetings and by praying for the Holy Spirit to be with them. That is how this uh, passage of scripture goes and how this um, session ends, this paragraph ends. And um, as we dip into this paragraph of Scripture and look at what it teaches us, what it says to us, I want to first kind of overview it for you, and then I want to walk through the various verses one at a time. And so, first of all, we have an overview of the passage, and here I'm just, it's, it's just going to be a quick look at um, the way this passage breaks down. There are two major things that are happening in these verses. One of them is that Paul sent greetings. We see this um, throughout the, most of these verses. It says in verse 21, "...Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings." And so this repetition of the word greet in one form or another shows that Paul is sending greetings to the Philippians. That's really the first major move, the first major uh, part of this paragraph of Scripture. The second major thing that happens in these verses is that Paul prayed for God's grace to be with them. Paul prayed for God's grace to be with them. And we see that at the very last verse, verse 23, where Paul says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And so if we break this down, we see Paul sends greetings, and then Paul prays for God's grace to be with them. Now behind these greetings, though, there are actually three different distinct communicators. So Paul is sending greetings, but there's actually kind of three groups that are all sending the greetings. The first one is Paul himself. In verse 21, it says, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. And I'll dip into this more in just a moment. But when Paul says in verse 21, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus, he's sending his own personal greetings here. And again, I'll explain how that works in just a moment. But that's the first... Uh, communicator of greetings in this passage. The second one is in the second part of verse 21, and that is Paul's helpers. Look again at verse 21. It says, Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. And then it says this, The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. Now, again, I'm going to talk about this more in a minute, but this is not Paul, and it's not the believers in Rome that he's talking about. This is actually Paul's companions People like Timothy and Silas, who traveled with him, they're the ones sending the greetings in the latter part of verse 21. And so Paul's helpers, I've called them here, are the second communicators of greetings in this passage. Finally, Paul sends greetings from all the believers in Rome. Verse 22 says, All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. And so there are two parts to this passage. There's the sending of greetings, and then the prayer for God's grace to be with them. And in that first part, the sending of greetings, there are three people communicating greetings, Paul himself, Paul's helpers, and all the believers that are there in Rome. And so that's my overview of the passage. Now let's take a moment and look at this passage in detail. Let's go through it one verse and one phrase at a time. Verse 21 begins with the words, "'Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus.'" And the word greet is a command. And when I first looked at this passage, when I first started studying this passage, I took it as a command from Paul to the believers to greet each other. That's usually how commands work, right? We command somebody to do something. But, but that's not what's going on in this passage, actually. Paul is not commanding them to greet each other. Instead, Paul is saying in a shortened form, give my greetings to all the Christians in Philippi. And the reason that he probably used this language was the beginning, and not to go back to it, but at the beginning of this book, Paul specifies the leaders of the church as being kind of the primary recipients of this letter. And so he's sort of, in a sense, commanding the leaders of the church to make sure that his greetings get conveyed to the entire church itself. And so when Paul says, give my greetings to all the Christians in Philippi, or when he says, I mean, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus, what he's saying is, I want to make sure that all the believers in Philippi receive my greetings. It's similar to if you see a friend, you're out and about in the community, and you bump into someone from our church or some other friend of yours that maybe you haven't seen for a while or just haven't talked to in a while, and you spend a minute maybe in the store you know, clogging the aisle, talking to this friend of yours that you haven't seen in a while, and at the end of your conversation, you say to them, say hi to your wife for me. Say hi to your husband, okay? What you mean is, tell your spouse that I said hello. You're not saying to them, make sure you go home and say hi to your spouse. You're saying, convey my hello to your spouse. All right, that's what Paul's doing here when he says, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. Now, after the command to greet, Paul says, he gives us the object of this greeting in verse 21. He says, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. That's the object of the command, to greet. And Paul wanted every Christian in that church to know that he was sending his hello to them, that he was sending his greeting to them. And the word all is an important one in this verse. It's an important one for what Paul is communicating in this very simple ending of the book. It's an all-inclusive word by its very nature. And Paul wrote that word to make a special point that nobody was to be excluded in the church. The New International Version, which I just read, says all God's people, but in the original language, the language is singular, not plural. So in the ESV, it reads this way. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. Now, there's, there's a, one's plural, the NIV, one's singular, the ESV. The intent is the same, and the, the, the um, meaning communicated is the same in both of them. They both communicate the point, which is that every Christian is to be included in this greeting. And I think that's why the NIV went with the plural, was to try to emphasize the large group that no one gets excluded from. But Paul wrote this greeting and he used the word every everyone or all God's people for a very specific purpose. It was a not so subtle reminder to the Philippians that they had a problem with divisions in their church. At the beginning of this chapter Philippians 4, Paul pleaded with two women to get on the same page in Christ Jesus, which indicates to us very strongly that there was a deep division between these two women. So deep that Paul the Apostle himself felt that he had to include them by name in the pages of Holy Scripture. This is unprecedented, which means the division was deep. And yet he doesn't rebuke them for any particular sin, nor does he rebuke them for holding to some kind of doctrinal division, which means that their issue between each other was probably just a personal, was some kind of personal spat, not necessarily a sin or even a doctrinal divide was the kind of personal division that plagues many of us, that plagues many churches. And when Paul says here at the end in verse 21, make sure you greet all God's people, I think, and commentators think what he's trying to do is to reemphasize to the church that there shouldn't be this kind of division in the church. And despite whatever disagreements may have been going on in the church, nobody should have felt marginalized. Nobody should have been excluded. Everyone should have been included because of God's love for everyone and everyone's belonging to the church. Now, you know this in your own experience, that when you have a problem with somebody, it's a lot easier to avoid that person than it is to seek reconciliation with him or her. And you also know that if you've tried to seek reconciliation with somebody and it just didn't happen for whatever reason, you just agreed to disagree, as we say, it's also easier to avoid that person than it is to be as kind to them as you were when you didn't have the disagreement. It's a lot easier to avoid someone, even in the church, than it is to have a loving greeting with him or her if there's a problem between you two. When Paul wrote in verse 21, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus, he was commanding them to stop excluding each other, to stop snubbing one another in the church. The church should not be marked by this kind of division. If we are in Christ, which I'll come to in a second, Paul uses that language, and if we all believe God's word, we have doctrine in common, then there is no place for division. Among the people of God, there can be disagreements, but no one should be snubbed or marginalized or made to feel less than part of the community. And living when we do at this time, it's, I think, something that we need to remember. There are lots of disagreements among the body of Christ in our church and in the church at large. There are political disagreements among people. There are personal disagreements among people. And these disagreements can cause division in the church if we stop treating those who disagree with us as if they are part of the body, as if they are one with us in Jesus Christ. And that's a sin. It's a sin to marginalize, to ignore, to mistreat, to not greet the people of God even if they disagree with you. And so that's what Paul is getting at when he says, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. No one is to be excluded. And notice that final phrase in the first sentence of verse 21. We are to greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. This tells us who God's people are. But it also tells us how we became God's people. We became the people of God in Christ Jesus. That's a powerful way to remind us that we aren't God's people by our own natural birth, like the Israelites were. We did not become God's people because we were born into it, even if you were born in a Christian household. We were not God's people, we are not God's people, by our own good works or by our own decision to choose God. Rather, we become God's people by the grace of God and that alone. When he says in verse 21, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus, it's a reminder that Christ Jesus is the one who died for our sins. And when by the grace of God we call on God to save us from our sins, God places us in Christ Jesus. Theologically, the phrase in Christ Jesus is what's called our union with Christ. And it is our union with Christ that causes everything that we have in Christ Uh, I'm saying this badly. Everything we have in Christ comes from our union with Christ. It all stems from our union with Christ. Being in Christ Jesus means that God views us and treats us because of our connection to Jesus Christ. Christ's perfect life in this world is what causes God to treat us as if we've lived a perfect life. That's why he can call us his people. That's why other translations use the word saints. We're not saints because we've developed godliness. We're still in process on that, but we are viewed as being perfectly godly by Jesus Christ because we are in Christ Jesus, who is perfectly godly. And our union with Christ transfers that treatment to us. It's Christ's perfect life that causes God to treat us like we've lived a perfect life. And it's Christ's death and resurrection for us that causes God to stop holding our sins against us in his heart. And instead, to welcome us as his children because Christ Jesus, our Lord, paid the price for our sins with his own body, his own blood on the cross. And so better even than the NIV and the ESV, the, I think the New Living Translation has the best translation of this verse when it says, give my greetings. All right, so there's Paul's greeting. To each of God's holy people, so there's the individual one, who belong to Christ Jesus. That's what Paul's saying in the first part of verse 21. Everything we have as Christians stems from the grace of God given to us in Christ Jesus, who lived for us and died for us and rose again for us. And because nothing we have before God is from our own efforts, or our own background. That means we have no right to treat anyone else in the body of Christ as less than. And that's what Paul's getting at when he says greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The next sentence in verse 21 is this: The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. And if you've compared this to another translation, you may note that not all translations say brothers and sisters. The ESV, for instance, says only the brothers and not the brothers and sisters. Now, the words and sisters are not in the original text, but they are added by translations like the NIV or the New Living Translation. Throughout the Bible, when they believe a mixed audience is intended, and so this is added so that English speakers, particularly female English speakers, don't feel like they're being excluded by the word brothers. These passages in context often usually refer to both men and women, both. However, in this one instance, I don't think that's correct. I don't think the NIV translators have made a good choice when they wrote at the end of verse 21, the brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. Because Paul is not speaking about all the Christians who live in Rome. That comes next in the next verse. When Paul says here in verse 21, the brothers who are with me, that's not a reference to Christians in general. And again, we know that because verse 22 says, all God's people here send you greetings. So Paul wouldn't say the same thing twice in different words. And so because of that, this this phrase, the brothers, that's mentioned in verse 21, must be a group that's different than all God's people in Rome. And that means the brothers that he refers to at the end of verse 21 are almost certainly His companions, his fellow workers in Christ, people like Timothy and Titus and Silas and many others at times who traveled with Paul as he went on his missionary journey spreading the gospel of Christ. Now, I don't want to get into this too much, but the Bible does tell us that other apostles such as Peter took his family with him when he traveled, as you would expect, But Paul was a single man, and there's no indication that Timothy or any of these others brought along a wife and children with them on these missions. Maybe they did, but there's no indication in Scripture that they did. And so when Paul says in verse 21, the brothers who are with me send greetings, I think he's referring to these companions, these helpers of his. And since they were all male, the proper translation would just be the brothers send greetings. So what do we have in verse 21? We have two of the communicators of greetings. Paul himself sent his greetings, and then his ministry helpers, whoever was with him at that time, also sent their greetings to the church in Philippi. Now we come to verse 22, where Paul wrote this. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The first phrase, all God's people here, means, as I think I've already indicated, every Christian in Rome that Paul had contact with. Remember, Paul was under house arrest in Rome. He was waiting, awaiting trial before Caesar. And this went on for years, for at least two years, maybe longer than that. Paul was under house arrest, waiting for his trial. While he was waiting for his trial, because he was living in a rented house under house arrest, that meant other believers could come and go. And so, as God had already brought the gospel to the, to the uh, city of Rome through others, and churches had been formed in the city of Rome, Believers started to get word that Paul was among them, and many of them came to visit him while he was under house arrest. And so Paul became acquainted with many of the believers in the city of Rome. And he told them about the Philippians and the other churches that he started. And so when he says in verse 23, all God's people here send you greeting, what he's saying is, the unity that we have in Christ means that all the people here in Rome want you to know that they're aware of your existence and that they're happy for your existence and that they love you and that they want you to feel welcomed and greeted in Christ. Notice again in verse 22 that it says all God's people here. And again, I think Paul is trying to belabor the point that no one is to be excluded. Now, the final phrase of verse 22 is is an interesting one. It says at the end of verse 22 especially those who belong to Caesar's household. They are a part of the all God's people here in Rome. But Paul specifies a part of those who were part of God's people in Rome and calls them those who belong to Caesar's household. Now the word household may sound like Paul is saying people who are in the immediate or extended family of Caesar, like his relatives. And so it, sort of sounds like Paul is saying some of the Roman emperor's relatives are sending greetings to you, but that's probably not the case. Scholars believe, and there's plenty of evidence outside the Bible to show this, that, that uh, the Roman emperor's, um, all, all, everyone who worked for him was regarded as part of his household in a sense. It was a figure of speech to refer to everyone who was employed in the service of the emperor just as the President of the United States lives in the White House. And while he lives there, it serves both as his residence and as his place of business. So also, the Emperor of Rome lived in a palace where he not only lived, but also where he worked, where he ruled the known world at that time. And so this last phrase in verse 22 Those who belong to Caesar's household remind us that some of these official servants, and probably many of them were either slaves or soldiers, but many of them who served or or worked in the army of Caesar, the Roman emperor himself, had become Christians. Now I say that this phrase reminds us of that because back in Philippians chapter 1, Paul suggested this. He suggested that during his incarceration in Rome, under his house arrest, that God had caused the gospel to enter Caesar's government. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13 say this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And then he elaborates on that in the next verse by saying this, As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. In the first verse, Paul says, I'm in prison, but the gospel's going forward. Then he specifies how it's going forward. And what he, what he says next is, All of these guards who serve in the Roman army and come here to keep an eye on me have heard the gospel. And some of Caesar's slaves have also heard the gospel. Now, when Paul says here in verse 22 of Philippians 4, all God's people here, especially those who belong to Caesar's household, are sending their greetings. It's an acknowledgment that these people have not only heard the gospel, but that the Holy Spirit has worked and used the gospel to convict them of their sins and cause them to turn in faith to Jesus Christ to become Christians just like the Philippians were. This is a wonderful thing. Paul was under house arrest and unable to go anywhere. He couldn't start any more churches in any more cities. Yet God used his arrest to bring the gospel to Roman soldiers and others, maybe palace servants who had to interact with him in some way or another. They heard the gospel through Paul, and some of them came to faith in Christ. And I think this is an important reminder for us that wherever we go and whatever we do, we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And as you encounter problems in your life, being arrested, like Paul was, was a a problem, a big problem. But that big problem introduced the gospel to a new group of people who wouldn't have heard it otherwise. And as you go throughout your life, you're going to encounter problems, too. We all do. You will meet people through those problems, people that you hire to help you get out of those problems. It might be a doctor or a nurse, if you're having a health problem. Someone who treats your injuries or cares for your illnesses. It might be the mechanic who fixes your car when it Unexpectedly breaks down, or the state police officer who shows up to respond to your car crash out on US 23. These are all unfortunate parts of life. They're all unhappy pieces of being alive in a sin cursed world. But when you and I encounter these problems, which we all do and we inevitably will, we have a choice. We can complain. To these people who show up to help us, the doctors, the nurses, the cops, the tow truck people, <laughs> the people who fix the car and whatnot, we could complain to them about our life. In fact, as I was preparing this message, I thought, these people must hear complaints like all the time, <laughs> right? You can complain about how unfair it is that someone crashed into your car when you were minding your own business, sending a text, okay? Okay. You could complain about that to these people, or you could complain to the nurse while he or she is taking your blood pressure that it's just not, you just don't have time for this right now. And it's not fair that you have to be sick at this time. Paul also could have legitimately complained to these people that his arrest was bogus because it was. He could have also complained that Caesar was taking years to finally hear his case, which should have been thrown out of court a long time before. Paul had very legitimate reasons to complain himself. But as we've studied this book together, we've seen that Paul is not complaining at all. Paul is filled with joy. That's why I called this whole series A Better Brand of Happiness. Because his joy permeates every paragraph of Scripture here. Even though his life stinks from look, looked at from one perspective he was a man filled with the joy of the lord despite the circumstances of his life and that's because his joy didn't come from the circumstances of his life his circumstances were not pleasant instead his joy came from a conscious decision to rejoice in the lord just as he commanded the philippians and us to do earlier in this chapter remember in philippians 4:4 4, 4, paul wrote rejoice in the lord it's a command rejoice in the lord always i will say it again Rejoice. Because Paul chose to rejoice in the Lord himself. He could look around at his circumstances and think, okay, Lord, I don't like that I'm here, but what can I do while I'm here to serve you? His unplanned and unpleasant incarceration was an opportunity for him to serve the Lord in a new way, to bring the gospel to a new group of people, And so he viewed the soldiers who came to guard him and the slaves who came to do whatever for him and the stenographers maybe who came to take his depositions or I don't know what, but the people from Caesar's household who were there in some official capacity. Paul viewed them not as people to be complained to or as people to be mistreated because they represented the state. Instead, he saw them as eternal souls that will live somewhere forever when this life is over, either in hell under the wrath of God for their sins, or like him, in heaven, if they are in Jesus Christ. And as he chose joy in those moments, as he chose to look at his circumstances as an opportunity to serve God, he shared the good news of Jesus Christ with these people. And God blessed his witness by giving birth to faith in the hearts and lives of some of these soldiers, some of these servants, even though they worked for the Roman emperor himself. And the lesson for us is, is that what we do? When we encounter problems in life and we meet those who are being paid to help us with those problems, do we view them as a necessary evil, as an unpleasant distraction in our lives, or do we look at it as, this may be an opportunity for me to speak the truth of the gospel into someone's life. And maybe God will be pleased to use my witness to bring this person to Jesus Christ. Paul was in a tough spot, but he was deliriously happy because he chose to rejoice in the Lord, and his choice to rejoice in the Lord overflowed. In the giving of the gospel message to a group of people who would never have heard of it otherwise. And the question for us is do we do that in our lives? Do we take the opportunity when we encounter new people because of the problems in our lives? Do we look at it as an opportunity to at least reflect the glory of God through our joy and through our trust in God? And more specifically, to share the reason for our joy, which is the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. When Paul says in verse 22, all God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. He's not only indicating that the unity that we have in Jesus Christ, even with people we'll never meet, but he's saying it's through the gospel message that he himself shared that these people came to become part of the body of Christ. And you and I as Christians should view ourselves as the ambassadors of this message. That wherever we go and whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, are we looking for the opportunity to share the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation with others? The final verse in this paragraph is verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And this is the way that Paul concluded many of his letters, not all of them, but many of them, end with words very similar to this. Obviously, the way it's worded, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, the phrase be with your spirit, conveys the fact that this is a prayer wish that he's ending his letter to the Philippians with a prayer to God, that God will work in their lives through his grace. But even though this is a kind of a formula that Paul uses in many of his letters, we shouldn't look at it as empty words that are tacked on to signal the end of the letter. Not at all. Paul used these words over and over again. Because he understood, as we should understand, that everything about our life stems from the grace of God. It is our grace in Jesus Christ, the grace that we have in Jesus Christ, that saved us from the penalty that we deserve for our sins. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that gives us the power to grow in our faith and to know God through the scriptures that he has given to us. It's the grace of God that causes us and enables us to choose to rejoice in the Lord when we face difficult circumstances in life. It's his grace that allows us and empowers our witness when we talk to people about the salvation of Jesus Christ. It's the grace of God that enables us to tackle interpersonal problems with others who are Christians and say, listen, it's not right for us to be divided like this. It's not right for us to avoid each other. Let's come together in the grace of Jesus Christ and seek to resolve these issues. It's also God's grace that allows us to be loving toward those we can't resolve problems with and still treat them with love. Everything we have in the Christian life comes through Jesus Christ the Lord. And the word that God uses to describe the undeserved gift that we receive in Jesus Christ is the word grace. Grace is God's undeserved, unearned favor to those, to you and me, sinners, who deserve God's disfavor, his wrath. And not only do we come to Christ in grace, but we walk with Christ daily by the grace of God. That's why I think he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. There are spiritual problems in the church. And there's spiritual problems within each one of us. Despite all that we have in Christ to grow and to be strengthened in our faith, we need the grace of God each and every day of our lives to do what God commands us to do and to live a life that brings glory to Him. And so Paul ends his words here in this book in verse 23. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. He ends the book with these words to remind us that everything he wants us to have and everything we can have in Christ going forward is all an unmerited gift that comes to us through Jesus Christ. And so my big idea for this session is this. A better brand of happiness comes through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where do you need the grace of God today? If you're not a Christian, if you're with us in person or if you're watching online and you're not a Christian, this is where you need the grace of God. You need the grace of God to save you from your sins and adopt you into the family of God. Are you willing to receive his grace in Jesus Christ by putting your faith and trust in Christ alone for your salvation? For all of us who are Christians, where do we need the grace of God today? Do we need it to resolve a problem with another believer Do we need it to love another believer who won't be reconciled to God the way that he or she should be and reconciled to us as well? Do we need God's grace to speak up in the moments when God gives us an opportunity to meet a new person that we might be able to reach with the gospel of Christ? Do we need God's grace to rejoice because our circumstances are not good at the moment? The world tells us that the best brands of happiness come in a store. We can buy happiness if we get the right car, the right shoes, the right phone, the right handbag, or whatever. The Bible tells us that a better brand of happiness is available to us in Jesus Christ, and it comes through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a better brand of happiness.